0: If you if you have a Bible, please open to the book of uh, Philippians. If you have a smartphone and you haven't used all your data on Pokemon Go this month, you can uh, you can also turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter three. Uh, we're reading out of the ESV version, and quite simply, this morning we're going to be continuing our series uh, in the book of Philippians called the Pursuit of Joy. And right from the outset, I'm going to say the application of this morning's message is quite simple. Firstly, that we have joy in Christ. And secondly, that Jesus Christ might be exalted in each one of our lives. That's the application. You're wondering, like, what do I need to do uh, from this? Uh, well, there is nothing wrong with calling us to uh, Scripture, calling us to greater joy, greater contentment, and satisfaction in Christ, and that is ultimately what we're getting at this morning. And I, I hope each one of you has has a measure of assurance after. Uh, we've taken the Lord's Supper, assurance in the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you uh, do not have that assurance, and you and you are not a believer in Christ, I, I would I would seriously encourage you also sort to of pay attention because this is for your joy. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi which is a, dis- a little bit discouraged. It's been going through some hard times. Things weren't as exciting as they once were. And they're facing uh, various forms of persecution. They're facing uh, pressures of false teaching. They're facing poverty, all sorts of things. And they're discouraged and wondering whether they need to keep going or not in the Christian life. And so Paul talks to them, the Apostle Paul talks to them about Joy and where it is found. It is found in humility, not pride. It is found in, as we saw last week, losing your religion and putting all your hope in Christ. And so this morning we're looking at verses 7 to 11 of, of Philippians 3. I'm going to start off by, by reading uh, verses 1 to 11, just so you guys have a little bit of context. I don't know not everyone was here last week, and I'm calling it joy and gain. Ultimately, what is the Apostle Paul's treasure? And we've got to ask ourselves, what is this treasure, how is it received, and how now does he live that he has this treasure? though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Let's pray quickly. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is profitable to teach us about you, about Christ, about the great salvation. And Lord, we we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our hearts, that we would uh, be attentive to your word. Uh, Father, protect me from, from speaking error in any way, and and Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would do your, your work within our hearts, that we might uh, each be convicted or built up as is needed and and pointed to Christ, that within our hearts, Jesus Christ might be lifted up and exalted as is right. We ask this in his precious name, amen. So, really, really quick recap on, on, on last week, which is that the Apostle Paul says, tells the church in Philippi to look out for the dogs. And he's talking about a very specific group of people they are called Judaizers. And there's a whole letter written about them and their false teaching called Galatians. Very simply, they, they believe that to be a true Christian, you not only had to believe in Jesus Christ, but you also needed to basically become a Jew. You're male, you needed to be circumcised, you needed to follow the Jewish dietary law, you needed to follow Jewish ceremonial practice. Their formula was Jesus plus being Jewish equals true salvation. The problem was, it doesn't work. And I I said repeatedly, and I want to make sure this is very, very clear, What Paul's saying in chapter 3 is that there's nothing wrong with being Jewish. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being a Jew. The problem was is that Paul and these Judaizers, you take their Jewish heritage, and they believe because of their Jewish heritage, they're less reliant on grace than other people. That their heritage causes them to put less confidence in Christ and some confidence in the things that they do. And it'll never work. It goes against the gospel. So, what Paul's saying here, when he uses the word dogs, he's not using it like some flimsy insult hey, you dog. Dogs live outside. And these people had been saying you needed to be circumcised, you needed to do all these kind of things, and then you can come in to the people of God. Paul is saying if you have all these requirements added on top of Jesus Christ to become a believer, then you're actually a dog, you're outside. Great irony. Okay, The people that think they're in are actually out because god's plan has not just been to make the nations Jewish, but that He would have a people for himself, a kingdom for Jesus Christ, and that this kingdom would be made it would be a transnational kingdom that is the end goal made up of all nations. These people had missed out on what was happening. God did not send Jesus Christ that we might all become Jews. He sent Jesus Christ that we might all be Uh, in relationship with him as Lord and Savior, and that his kingdom would be made up of all people, both Jews and Gentiles. Does that make sense? That's where we're at now. And Paul talks about how he was in no way a failure at being a Jew. Paul did not become a Christian because he sucked at being a Jew uh, or a Pharisee or anything like that. That was not his reason. He was the best of the best in his chosen form of religion. But he comes and he says that he count it, counts it as loss. We'll kick off in, in, in verse 7. and We're going to spend most of our, our time there. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And it's very helpful to see that, that word rubbish I mentioned last week. If you've got a King James Version, anyone have a King James Version with them this morning? Rock on. Um, okay? Your version says, Dung, and that really is what's in mind here, dung. My commentary, I'm not making this up, my commentary said crap in it. Actually, I was kind of stunned, okay? It's slang, Jewish slang. This is excrement. So what he's saying, if you think your heritage and your works of service and your righteousness makes you Less reliant on God's grace, and it makes you more righteous than other people. Actually, realize it's done, it's worthy only of being thrown out. Paul is saying that all of the things that he told dear, all what I thought were once my assets, I actually transfer them over and put them in the liability column. They are liabilities because they made me trustless in Christ. He's not renouncing his heritage, but instead he does not use his heritage as the grounds of his confidence before God. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that I declare spiritual bankruptcy that I might gain my treasure. What is this treasure that he speaks of? Is Jesus Christ. I believe uh, some of you will know Matthew chapter thirteen There's a number of parables in there. Matthew thirteen verses forty four to forty six uh, talk about uh, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. I'll read the, I'll read those verses. Paul says the kingdom of heaven Paul is essentially applying them right here in Philippians 3. That he paid all that he has, all all of his life, he cast it aside, that he might gain Christ. What is Paul's treasure? Just Christ. That I might gain Christ. He says, I count all those things as rubbish that I might have Christ. Big idea. Everything in this world has some sort of value. The most valuable things in this world can still be bought. We say priceless because it's just a really, really big number. You can buy the Mona Lisa painting if you have enough money. But Jesus Christ is a treasure that is infinitely valuable. Do we understand that? He is infinitely valuable. And therefore, Paul is saying, it is foolish, it is foolish to hold on to certain things that we hold dear and neglect Christ. He says, I count all things, it's not even close, I count all things as lost, as dung, for the sake of knowing Jesus. As Christ is his treasure. And I'm going to say that over and over and over again. Many of us here have grown up with a Christianity which says that the reason we are to come to Jesus is to get a ticket to heaven. Okay, A ticket to heaven is a wonderful thing. But there's a reason why we suddenly start getting bored of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We start getting bored of hearing about Christ. We start getting bored of church. Because you think, if that's all I want, that ticket to heaven, you put it in your back pocket. And you can carry on with life. I'm not saying it's not a valuable thing. But it's not to be our ultimate treasure. Paul never says that. Paul never says, Hi, I've, got, I've got heaven, that's great. That's my ultimate treasure. Nor is peace his ultimate treasure, or any of the blessings that come in Christ. Let us not confuse gift above giver. Paul says he counts all things as lost, that he might gain Christ. In Christ are all the blessings. Christ is infinitely valuable. So, this is Paul's treasure. How is it received? How do you get hold of this treasure of Christ? Paul says, verse 9, He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It is faith in Christ. Some of you will have heard that faith is basically the, the absence of reason. It's just, faith is what you do when you don't have the facts. Faith is what you do when you don't have evidence. None of that's true. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, so says the writer of, of of Hebrews. Faith is what brings us into union with this great treasure, Jesus Christ. And if we look at it in this context, we can say that faith in Christ is therefore renouncing all our dependence on anything that will keep us from trusting Christ. We renounce all that we have. We say it is rubbish. Anything that keeps us from Christ, we say, no, I need that. Sell all that we have that we might have that treasure Faith is saying that we go through a turnstile. If you go go to an airport or you go to a train station, um, you you go through you go through a little turnstile, and you realise that you can't take everything with you when you go through a little turnstile. You know, countdown those little things that you walk through when you get in with the trolley. Right? you can't go back out, and you can't walk th- through in a in a row through. You've got to go through. You've got to ditch all your baggage. Ditch everything that stops you from following Christ. And go through and receive the treasure. This is what faith is. We come to Christ with nothing. We come naked and emptied of our own righteousness. We don't get to say Jesus can I be a special class of Christian because I'm a really, really good compared to those other people? We don't get to do that. We don't get to do that. Christ is Christ is only treasured. Christ is only received by faith when he is viewed as the thing that we truly need. And all that holds us back is discarded. We come by faith. And Paul's goal is that he might be found in him. This has been something that I want to say over and over and over again in this church. Until you get absolutely sick of me. The blessings of Jesus Christ are found in him. That is where it is at. Okay? Let us not confuse blessing from the one who gives the blessing that we might be found in him, that by faith we trust in him, that we are in union with him, that he is our Lord and our Savior. That is why He is to be our treasure. First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty says, Because of God in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Being found in Jesus Christ, being in union with him, trusting in him as Lord and Savior rather than yourself, is what leads to the blessings. But the blessings are never found apart from him. In verses 9, Paul talks about something called justification. If you guys are at Riverbend I and and Anikawa, I know you've heard those words many, many times. Okay? To be justified means that God immediately declares us right, righteous before him that our sins are washed away, and God looks down and sees the righteousness of Christ. In verse 10, he, he discusses something called sanctification, the gradual process, the ongoing process of becoming more and more Christ-like. That's a gradual thing. okay? And then finally, in verse 11, he talks about glorification, that we might rise again, be fully Christ-like. Justification, instantaneous. Sanctification, progressive. Glorification, what happens at the coming of Christ. Justification, removal of the penalty of sin. Sanctification, gradual removal of the power of sin in our lives. Glorification, final removal from the presence of sin. Those blessings are not your treasure. And I want to make that very clear. Those blessings are not your treasure. They're, no, they're not ultimate. Christ is ultimate. They come in Christ. Let us make sure that He is the one that we hold on to. We're justified by faith, but faith, we're not, our faith is not connected to justification. Our faith is connecting us to Christ, In Him are all the blessings. rant over, okay? So there's a series of contrasts happening here. In verse 9, a righteousness of the law is contrasted with the righteousness that comes from God. Secondly, a righteousness that we earn ourselves and a righteousness that is received. Those things are mutually exclusive, you cannot earn God's favor okay and be made righteous with him through keeping the law galatians 321 says the law cannot give life it cannot So what, therefore, is the function of God's law? We know know what we're talking about. The ultimate summary of God's law is the Ten Commandments. Summarized into two, the great commandment, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. What's the purpose of those laws? What are the purposes of those commands? Not to make us righteous before God. No, but to point us. To point us. To our need for the great treasure, Jesus Christ. And secondly, to show us, that therefore, once we have received this treasure, how we are to live. To seek to grow in loving God. To seek to grow in loving others. law cannot give life. And therefore, we must receive righteousness. To be declared righteous before God, we must receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot earn it ourselves. What is faith? The abandoning of our own efforts and the turning to Christ and trust in Him. That is what it is. I no longer look to myself as my source of righteousness, but Christ is my righteousness. Paul's great hope is that I might be found in him. Found in Christ. You were not out there looking for this treasure in the field. You were not out there looking for a pearl of great price. You had a yearning within, you if you are a Christian that you were made for something greater and that you needed something. But someone either through scripture or through a friend or in a church service like this, someone told you about Jesus Christ and you realized in that moment he is worthy. I will follow him. I need him. That is a treasure worth having. That's what's happened to you if you are a believer. You come to realize, as John Newton says, I once was lost. But now I'm found. How are you found? You are found in Christ. This is a wonderful thing. I'm a colossal failure as a human being in many, many ways. Okay, And especially before God. I have failed every single day of my life to keep his law and to live a life pleasing to him. This idea that religion is about helping ourselves to make ourselves better. It just doesn't fly with me. I'm going to mess it up. But I'm thankful for this gospel because it gives me hope. Charles Spurgeon says, God helps those who cannot help themselves. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. How has, he helped them? How has he helped us? By showing us Christ. So Christ is the treasure. He is received by faith. How now, then, do we live? Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that's sanctification. And secondly, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. dead. How do we live now? Do we live however we want? We have gained this treasure. We can now go about life as we once were. We continue to sin because we have Christ. Do we just keep doing everything that we were doing? Do our desires remain exactly the same? No. We have received this gift of this great treasure that we have not earned, and we come to treasure it more deeply. Grace transforms us as we experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. This is quite something. To know Jesus Christ means to experience his resurrection power and to share in his sufferings. You hear that suffering part and you go, ooh, don't want that. Okay, we'll get there. To experience the power of his resurrection. Someone said to me quite rightly this week that it seems like when... We're told that the Christian life is experiencing Christ's resurrection power, that it feels like just reading that, well, we're supposed to be perfect, right? We're supposed to be sinless. Christ was raised, died, and then Christ was raised sinless. If we're experiencing his resurrection power, why am I not like Jesus right now? That next week's message. Sorry about that. It's only a two-hour drive, guys. You can come back. Um, But being found in union with Christ not only declares us righteous right then and then, that we have a righteousness that we have not earned, but the righteousness that we have received, but it also changes the way we live. And God, through His Holy Spirit, begins to work in us that we might experience the resurrection power of Jesus. How do we do this? Two ways, real brief. Firstly, by beholding Jesus Christ, by looking to him, by thinking on what he has done in the gospel, by reminding us of what he did upon the cross in his death and his resurrection for us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 18. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Quite simply, what that is saying is as we make much of Christ, as we behold him, as we are thankful for what he has done in the gospel, we are being transformed into his likeness. If you went to the Shepherd's Bible College, you'll know this big word. It's called vivification. That's what that's called. Okay? We behold Jesus Christ. And that is such a big reason why Sunday worship is so important. Because we make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ each week. In that, in that supper, Christ is being made much of. Week after week, day after day. We behold Christ and be thankful for what he has done. We grow. And secondly, we begin dying to self. Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, and begins listing various kinds of sins. We behold Christ and then we die to ourselves. We put the sins off. We seek to say no. We seek to repent of our sins, to move away from them. We have a a desire within us that we may not be, live how we used to live. We seek to live in what we already have in Christ. Big word for you again, mortification, killing sin. And therefore, as I said, the local church, fellowship, encouragement, sometimes being rebuked by people are all helpful in allowing us to behold Christ and die to self. Serving other people. Saying, not about what I care about, but how can I help you? Humility. All those things help us become Christ-like. And that that is what it means to experience the power of our Christ's resurrection. This is pictured in our baptism. That we have died with Christ and that we've risen again in newness of life. That's what's being pictured in baptism. This thing, experiencing Christ's resurrection power. And it is essential... It is essential, and it is—it makes absolute sense that if we are in union with Christ, if Christ is our treasure, we will, though we stumble, we will grow, we will mature, we will become more Christ-like. A little verse which is often viewed as quite obscure and and not read very often is Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse thirteen. Paul says. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To be saved. You're like, I'm saved already. I believe in Christ. I said, yes, you are saved. You are being saved as God works in your life, and you will be fully saved. That is what we call glorification. A real brief word on suffering, because that's in the text, right? We don't like talking about that in 2016, do we? Suffering. That I might share in Christ's suffering. Wow. Big idea here. The word here for suffering might refer to, as does, absolutely refers to to persecution. To martyrdom to suffering simply for the sake that you are a Christian. Remember that. Not everyone hates you because you're a Christian. Sometimes we just are jerks, right? Okay? So this doesn't give you a right to be like, I'm suffering, okay? Okay? Yes, it refers to persecution. Yes, it refers to the fact that your family thinks less of you because you become a Christian. Absolutely. Yes, it refers to our brothers and sisters, some 200,000 of them who are killed each year simply because they are believers in Christ. This is true. But the word here is broad enough to include all of our trials, all of our frustrations, all of our hardships. If you live for Christ, you will suffer. And this is to be helpful because we know it's realistic. If the if if I stood up here and said, coming to Jesus Christ means you will never suffer and you will have a wonderful life full of health, wealth, and prosperity as long as you live, you will know I'm speaking garbage. Because you know you will still get ill. You know you will still lose your job. You know your kids will get sick. And you know that a Jehovah's Witness will wake you up at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Okay? Okay. Okay, But why are we surprised? Jesus Christ, remember we're in union with him. He is our treasure. Did he suffer? I don't mean to overstate my case, but I think he suffered a little bit. He did. Why is it that we think that the disciples ought to be greater than their master and experience something different? It's not true. Again, I quote the ever-quotable Spurgeon. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave which throws me on the rock of ages. Suffering is a natural part of this life, whether it is for your faith or not because of your faith, but it is a natural part of this life. It has the effect on throwing us on Christ, throwing us on the hope that He has given us and treasuring Him more. That's the purpose of it. That's the purpose of it. That we eagerly look forward to being with Jesus. That by any means possible, he says in verse 11, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. By any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Glorification, that's what he's talking about. When Christ comes again, we'll have a fully sinless body. Stop press. You will not become an angel when you die and go to heaven, okay? You will not have wings, sorry, okay? Okay, not biblical. But he says by... He says, because I am in union with Jesus Christ, because he is my treasure, as Christ rose again, ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, I will rise again. I will experience this. I will attain the resurrection from the dead. That is why Christian funerals are joyous occasions. In some ways, yes, we mourn because the person has died, but we rejoice because we know they will rise just like Christ did. That's what he's saying. And Paul says, by any means possible, I might attain this. Paul's not saying I earn this resurrection. He's made it very clear that he doesn't. But what he's saying is he continues to pursue Christlikeness. likeness Having Jesus Christ for Paul is not simply having a ticket to heaven in his back pocket and he goes about life as he was, but it involves a constant pursuit of Christ, a constant pursuit of beholding Christ, a constant pursuit of killing the sin in his life, a constant pursuit of joy, a constant pursuit of becoming more humble, more loving, Every single person in this room wishes to become more loving. I'm sure of it. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. How has He first loved us? In Christ. As we behold what Christ has done, we are changed. Knowing Jesus Christ, being in union with Him, does not cause the Apostle Paul to become lazy, but instead it gives him zeal to pursue Christ, to live for him. And become what he already has in Christ. You're in union with Christ because he is your treasure, and you are becoming like him. That's the goal. You declared righteous like him, you're becoming like him and you will be like him. i close with this quote. Most people think that the goal of religion is to get people to become something they are not. The scriptures call believers to become more and more what they are already in Jesus Christ. Amen. What's our application? If you're not a Christian... You need to ditch whatever it is that's holding you back. Repent of your sins and believe in Christ. Receive, take hold of that treasure for your joy, for the sake of his name. And if you are a believer, have joy and exult in Jesus Christ. That is so cool. I'm not giving you 12 things to do. Exalt in Christ. He's worthy. Let's pray.